Z1077 welcomes you to Up Close, a weekly public affairs program presented by Z1077 News. You're invited to call in with your questions and comments. Our call-in number is 366-8471. Now, your host for Up Close, Gary Danielle. Well, thank you, Mr. Announcer, whoever you are, and welcome to the Z1077 Up Close Show. A special presentation of Z1077 News presented in the public interest. Our producer is Sarah Snyder, and our phone number for the call and participate is 760-366-8471. And our special guest in studio today is the superintendent of Joshua Tree National Park, David Smith. David, welcome to the Z1077 Up Close Show. Delighted to have you in this morning. Oh, Gary, I love being here. Thanks for having me to, this morning. And I'd like to congratulate you on 30 years of service to the National Park Service. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's, it's, it's right around 30 years now. Yeah. 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 Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, imagine you held a job that long. Oh, and it gets better and better, man. Yeah. Anyway, glad to have you here. A lot of stuff going on with the park. I do want to let folks know if you have a question for David, our phone number is 760-366-8471. You can talk to him directly right on the radio, and uh, he'll be happy to uh, field your questions about Joshua Tree National Park. Uh, so like everybody in the country, uh, we're all affected by the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. Joshua Tree National Park uh, went through a number of stages mm-hmm. with the national park. Um, how did that affect the park? Now, I know I was reading in Yellowstone where uh, the bison were coming back and the trees were back growing because there was no human activity in there. Yeah. Did you have any natural changes to the park similar yeah, to that? Yeah, we, we had some really good things. I've got some great uh, shots from our, our fire management officer of Bighorn Sheep hanging out at Bell Campground and White Tank Campground, you know, places you never see them. So uh, that was, you know, pretty neat to see. So the, they had the run of the place. They had the run of the yeah, – literally, yeah. they had the run of the place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the tortoise population. Yeah, you know, the only folks we had inside the park initially were, you know, a couple rangers every now and then that were going back home to Cottonwood. So they, they started seeing more and more tortoises on the road. Uh, so we, we had zero mortality of tortoises getting run over, you know, this spring, which is which is exceptional. You know, in the last few years, we've had, you know, a half dozen up to 10 animals die in a year. So so that was really exciting. On the other side, though, the, man, the, the amount of exotic weeds that came up in some of these key areas, like, you know, f- we have fields of mustard right now. Normally, we have, you know, work crews that are out there right after things start to sprout that are working hard on pulling the mustard and other things. But now we've got pretty high fire potential because we've got these exotic weeds there. Um, so that was, you know, a negative impact. Uh, you know, air quality, we thought we were going to see a big, uh, you know, the air quality was going to get really good. It normally is pretty darn good in uh, in March and April and May, so we didn't really see a de- decrease in, in smog. Now, how did that affect the park uh, as far as the gates being closed? That's a significant loss in entry fees. Uh, now, do you, do you pre-budget for the year? Do you have to go back to the drawing board? How did that uh, Man, affect the uh, budget? Yeah, it, 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 it's a it's a huge uh, hit to the park. We rely on on those fees uh, to pay for a lot of our operations. To be honest with you, Gary, you know a lot of the rangers, a lot of the researchers, the interpretive staff, they all get paid with the money that comes in from those gates. So we were down about three million dollars. Um, March and April and May are the busiest three months of the year. Those are the months that we were closed to in our fee stations. So we we're on this planning process. You know, it's about a five year process for for you know things, and we expect the income to come in. And so this year, you know, we're three million dollars down. So I've been working with my staff the last month to cut projects from the next five years. 
so that and that's got to be tough. Oh man, yeah. it's you know, and they're, they're 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 little babies. So like the Ryan Mountain Trail refurbished, you know that that project. That's that's about a two hundred thousand dollar project. It's one we really want to do. We really want to work on that that trail. But you know, like, well, maybe we put it off for a year. Yeah. Uh, but the one that's killing me is is West Entrance because you know that that's our that's our big baby right now. That's a pretty expensive project. We've got to expand the road. We're building you know four entrance stations instead of just. the And that's the Joshua Tree entrance for those of you who are wondering what the West Entrance is. Yeah, I'm so. sorry about that. That's yes, okay. I thought everyone knew what West Entrance was. Uh, one guy didn't. Okay. <laughs> and I felt him. Um, okay. So, but you know what we've done is. Um, we did not hire as many people during the shutdown. Uh, not the shutdown. Well, I guess it was technically yeah, it was shutdown. a shutdown. Okay. Yeah. So we didn't hire as many people. So we were able to, to package some money to keep West Entrance moving forward. So I think we're still slated to have that in about 18 months or so is when we'll break ground. Well, I know, I know a lot of residents of Joshua are going to be very happy about that. So well, I, it's, it's eliminated a lot of the congestion there on, on Quail Springs. Road. Oh, you're telling me. I was just, you know, I was killing time before I came to see you this morning. So I wanted to check out the entrance station, see how they're doing, making sure they got all their safety protocols in, in play. And you know, I, I was sitting there for, you know, 15 minutes on a, uh, on a Friday morning in the summertime, you know, trying to get to the entrance. So, uh, and that's changed with the park. It used to be summer was, it was, was really slow, but the, yeah. the park's become a year-round attraction. Well, you now. look at the numbers now in the summer, and typically we're getting, you know, between 100 to 150,000 visitors a month in the summertime. Now, that, that'll be really interesting this summer because with the travel ban still in place, most of our visitors in the summer are from, from Germany, from France, from Europe. They're not here, and instead we're seeing a whole bunch of people from San Diego, Los Angeles, Santa Barbara that are choosing to, to come to Joshua Tree in the summertime. It could be they don't have anywhere else to go. Uh, this, there were so many things that were closed in the urban areas, so they were looking for you know public lands that were nice and open that were safe to recreate in, but there definitely has been a spike in people from the Southland. And always a, a little worry uh, with that, that they they understand that the desert can have some very severe conditions. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, make sure you got plenty of water, food. Um, you you, you and, know you know the uh, the mantra. You know, make sure big big hat, suntan lotion, hike in the morning, and Jiminy Cricket, do not hike Forty Nine Palms Oasis Trail at twelve noon. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, it's an easy it's it's an oh. easy hike. No, it's not. It's it's got a lot of and we, we of. A, uh, of a- ascent and descent. To we, had, we had a carry out there a couple weeks ago. The last time we had, yeah, a we hot had it spell. on here. Two, two, two women. Two, at the same time, at the same time, there's another guy that's that's uh, having issues out uh, in, in Samuelson's Rock. He's hiking to Samuelson's Rock in the middle of the day. He's not able to make it. So we had three rescues at the same time. All, all for people who just weren't prepared. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we we warned them as much as we possibly can. Now in 2019, the numbers of visitors to the park was skewed a little bit because of a government shutdown. Right. Now in 2020, <laughs> the number of visitors to the park will be skewed for a second year in a row because of the pandemic shutdown. So do you estimate? Do you try to no, do a swag? No, we, we, no we'll, we'll, we'll be honest. You know, we'll use the data that we get from all the counters and put them together. So there's a formula we've got to follow. And if we're closed, yeah, there are people that were coming in, they're hiking in, but it was just minuscule compared to the normal amount of folks that, that come in. Uh, so it'll, you know, I'm, I'm guessing about 2.5 million will probably be the visitation. You know, that's assuming we don't have any kind of crazy surge in October, November. Now, the last time you heard, David, we, we talked a little bit about a, a, a problem which 
of graffiti, mm-hmm. which seemed to have been multiplying, getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, I know we had to close uh, parts of the Indian Cove campground, the Jumbo Rocks area there for right. a while because of graffiti. Uh, some other areas were 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 uh, were shut down. Has that been mitigated? Because we don't hear that much about it anymore. Are people, so we, we are try they, to are they getting a brain. Or? We, we try to jump <laughs> on it as soon as possible. I, and I, I, it's an education process. You know, if, if you're, uh, we value the desert a lot, Gary. You know, that's why you live here, and that's why I live here, and we we love this place. We know that it is a finite resource, and it can be destroyed. So we we already we are the choir man. But there's a lot of folks that, you know, they think of the desert like, oh, yeah, it's that place out in the east. You know, you can do whatever you want there. Yeah, there's can, nothing out there. You can drive wherever you want. You can yeah. shoot wherever you want. And, well, no, that's not necessarily the case. There are appropriate places for doing all those things. But inside of a national park, inside of a desert, it is a fragile place. So it's an education process. Also, it's an opportunistic crime. If you can jump on it right away and you can remove that graffiti, then someone else comes along. And if they don't see it, they're, they're apt not to want to repeat it. I know that in the urban areas where graffiti comes up, they have teams that do they do that immediately. Right. Uh, of course, in the urban areas, it's primarily gang tagging. They're 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 staking out their territory, and and by removing that, then the, then the rival gang is not going to put up their tag. We don't start a whole a, a whole uh, a contest there. So we, we we do have a crew, you know, that that works on it. So we have a we have a graffiti line that people call into or they email into. Uh, we jump on it right away. The problem is, you know, when people do graffiti on rocks, sometimes it's associated with rock art that was done by Native Americans. So I, I, I got to get an archaeologist out there. You know, she's got to check it out and make sure. Make sure it's not a right? petroglyph or something. And, and we, 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 we contact the tribes typically and say, hey, guys, we're going to be removing some graffiti in this area. Do you have any concerns? You know, I'll send out my biologist. Do, like, is there desert tortoise in that area? The botanist, is there? So you can't just go get rid of it. It's because a whole process. We use this stuff called elephant snot. It's a, it's, you can buy it, you know, at probably at any of the hardware stores and it, it's a really nice solvent that takes off the, the, the paint and, you know, gets down to the, the base, but sometimes you have to water blast it as well. It uh, really, really depends. It's, it's Tammy just handed you a note. Okay. <laughs> she did. She was reminding me of some of the other things that were happening uh, from our friends from Los Angeles recently. Um, the other night, our, our chief ranger was uh, was driving home. He lives over in Joshua Tree, so he likes to go from Twenty Nine Palms, you know, through the park, do a, a final patrol before yeah, he, he goes home at night. And he noticed there was a whole bunch of people hanging out at Cap Rock, <clears throat> and there was a stage at Cap Rock, and uh, more and more cars were coming. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, he he went up to the the main organizer who had a you know a. a, a uh, a whole bunch of records and other various things. He goes, what's going on? He goes, oh, yeah, we're having a rave tonight, man. And he's like, really? He goes, yeah, we got about 200 people coming out Was he out in here. uniform? Yeah, he was in uniform. Yeah. I, this guy was just, you know, clueless. Yeah. And uh, Eric did some really good education with the young man to remind him that, you know, national parks during the time of COVID may not be the best places to have a rave in the middle of the night for a variety of reasons. <laughs> yeah. So, so they obviously shut him down. Um, Eric Eric handled it very proficiently, and I once again I'm very pleased to have him as our chief ranger because he deals with those things well. They they were good meaning kids. They, they were not evil. They just they did not understand uh, what national parks are all about. Can't just show up and have a rave. No, you'd have to yeah. get a permit, and I'm probably not going to give you a permit for a rave inside of a national park. I'm yeah. going to call my friends in the BLM and see if there's an appropriate place there. So it's a matter of public education. So 
that's what it is, man. And and you're right. Those of those of us who live here uh, think of the park far differently than people who are just visiting here. It's you know the, sort of the legend of Joshua Tree, this magical place somewhere out in the desert where you can do anything you want to do. It's always important, Gary, to meet with people that are not part of your uh, your choir, your family, and ask them what is a national park. What does that mean to you? I I was working down. This was years ago down in Coachella uh, in Mecca at a at a street fair, and I was inviting these kids come on into the national park, and they're like. You mean the park across the street, which was, you know, like a little island of uh-huh. grass in the middle of Mecca. Like, <laughs> no, 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 Joshua Tree National Park. And they're like, what is Joshua Tree? It's like, man, you look at it every day. It's those hills right there. But the families all day long had no idea that that was a national park or even what a national park means. David, what are the challenges facing Joshua Tree National Park? Uh, I, I, there's a couple things I want to I want to illuminate. The first one is the the move afoot to put the Joshua tree on the threatened species list. Uh, the interesting thing about that, because I actually read it, is they're using the reason for that is global warming, which is nothing that can be immediately mitigated. It can't be, well, we're worried about Joshua tree because people keep uh, dumping paint. In, or you know, There's no mm. human-caused reason, although global warming is human-caused. I, I agree with the science on that. But um, how would that affect Joshua Tree National Park? And are they endangered? No. Well, uh, (laughs) Uh, that's a double double question. The the Fish and Wildlife Service does not uh, designate the Joshua Tree as uh, as a threatened or endangered species. But Uh, they're asking for for the the designation from the state because of global warming. I think it's just kind of a funny reason. Well, I think it's probably the same kind of – thought with the polar bears, you know, as, as their habitat shrinks, you know, uh, that species becomes more and more threatened. I mean, the Joshua tree habitat is shrinking right now. We're, we're seeing that we've seen it in the park. We see it all around the area. It is shrinking. It will eventually, uh, move to higher elevations, but maybe not in time to actually adapt to those, those elevations, you know, things that we're doing. I was just meeting with my botanist yesterday. One of the things we're going to start doing in the next year or two is actually doing replanting and burned areas for specifically for Joshua trees because uh, the Joshua trees are not coming back in burned areas. And we recognize that the population shrinking. This is one way of, of helping to maintain the population. So we're actually, we know we have a really nice nursery inside the park. We can grow them there and we can replant them inside the park. Now, my understanding is that has changed because of the invasive grasses. Normally, you'd have a wildfire in a place like Joshua Tree National Park, and the flames go by very quickly mm-hmm. and kind of singe everything. They don't destroy everything. So the Joshua Tree's seeds would be able to grow after a fire. Now, with the invasive grasses, that fire burns much hotter and is carried farther, and that's affecting the seeds being able to germinate. That's my understanding. Please correct me if I'm I, I, wrong. I, I would never want to contradict. No, you please. Know, you know, correct me. Gary Daniel, yeah. but it, it's a little bit different than that. You know, his, <laughs> good, good. His, yeah. Historically, we don't have evidence of, of fires, you know, really big fires okay. in, in the Mojave Desert. Even those, those low grass fires, it just, there just was not enough fuel to keep it going. Um, at, you know, at the higher elevations, you'd have Joshua trees, you'd have pinions, you'd have junipers, you'd have black brush, but not, it, it just would not be a solid forest of it. And as a result, when you had a lightning strike during the summer monsoon season, you know, you'd burn a tree and maybe like some bushes around it. And if it was really windy, maybe an acre or so, but you just did not have the thousand, 2000 acre wildfires when cattle came out. 
So 1880s to about 1930, when a lot of this was grazed, we had the introduction of, of exotic grasses like, like cheatgrass and red brome. Now we're seeing another grass called chismus, and they cover everything. So when you have a really good wet year, you have this, these exotic grasses now, and when you do get a lightning strike, the fire doesn't stop. Um, you add into that, too, uh, what we get from the, in the northwestern corner of the park, we get that steady flow of, of nitrogen from smog. And so up Covington Flats, um, that portion of the park has the, the biggest grass in the park because it is getting fertilized. It's getting nitrogen fixation from the smog that's coming in. So all those things together mean that it's really tough to keep the Joshua trees going. Has fire management changed in the park because of the invasive grasses? Oh, man, uh, totally. I, I, was, I was talking to our fire management officer about this today, or no, I'm sorry, earlier this week. You know, they are out there doing um, hazardous fuel removal, you know, right now. So the Covington Flats Road, you know, we are, we are clearing out brush on either side so that we have a, a nice size fire break there so we can get engines up there really quickly to, to deal with burns in that area. We are actually going out to individual Joshua trees and cutting down the weeds around them so that uh, if they do get struck by lightning or if a fire does come through that area, it doesn't spread farther than just that one tree. Um, so we, at Joshua Tree, my, my, uh, my policy with fire is, is total and, and aggressive containment of, of any fire that we have inside of a park. Did it used to be years ago they would just let it burn because that's what nature would yeah. do? Yeah, you know, when I went to forestry school and when I was, uh, when I was a little park ranger a long time ago, uh, that was, you know, generally the thought. And that is true in many of our national forests and national parks across the United States, which have different kind of issues. But it's the, it's the peculiarity of the Mojave Desert. You know, this it just did not eat. Joshua trees don't evolve with fire. There's not a, there's not a lot of um, biomass in the soil. Most of our soil is defoliated granite, depending where you are. And it takes a long time for, for plants to decompose, to create that soil, and that actually allows plants to then take off. When a fire goes through, you within a year, you lose most of that, that soil that's still there. Which may have taken... It may have taken centuries and centuries and centuries to, wow. to develop that centimeter or two of, of soil or that dirt, but then it's gone. If you go up to, uh, to Keys View to avoid the heat, because it's supposed to be hot the next couple of days, but let's say you go up there, you're going to see the burn on the right-hand side of the road. Go for a walk up there. Look, and that was, that was 12 years ago, and see what's come up. You see a few exotic grasses. But otherwise, it is devoid of, of plant life. Because it takes all the organic, organic yeah. material off the desert floor. One of the things yeah. our, our, um, our botanist has been experimenting with is he makes these, uh, these mud balls, uh, and he puts seeds in them. And then he puts on a, like a paper carrier sack, and he fills them up with these mud balls that have dried out. And he'll go out into those areas, and he will put those mud balls in little depressions and places so that when we do get rain, there's enough soil there right next to that so that some of those plants will start Could taking catch off. And give them a place so that's one of the things we've been experimenting with in, inside the park. So when you talk about the desert floor, one of the analogies I use as I go out, people, I say people, I'm from 20 Palms, oh, that's the desert. There's nothing going on up there. And I said, well... The analogy I use with 29 palms is uh, you look at it, and uh, you may not see much. But if you scratch under the surface, there's a whole bunch of stuff going yeah. on. No, I, I, so, I, I love this place. Yeah. I'm quite happy here, Gary. Yeah. We're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more of David Smith, the superintendent of Joshua Tree National Park. If you have a question, give us a call, 760-366-8471. For the Z1077 Up Close Show, we'll be right back after these brief messages.
There's a hero waiting for you, waiting to save you hundreds, even thousands of dollars. SolarNow, a hero solar contractor who's been installing systems all over the high desert for years. No money down, 100% financing, where you don't even have to do the paperwork, is available through SolarNow with the Hero Program. Payments are made through your property taxes. The interest may be tax deductible for you, and it's transferable if you sell your home. Why lease when you can own? Call SolarNow, just like I did, and get a no-pressure, hassle-free quote today. Reach Mark Hines at 228 with Firehouse Subs Rapid Rescue to Go, you can order online or in the Firehouse Subs app, and they'll have your subs boxed, bagged, and ready for pickup at their designated to-go areas. No crowds, no lines, no waiting, no problem. Or get Firehouse Subs delivered right to your door with your favorite delivery app. They're proud to continue serving the hot, hearty, and meaty subs you crave every day. Remember, Firehouse Subs was founded by firefighters, so being there to help their community, it's in their DNA. A portion of every purchase goes towards providing life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs in Yucca Valley. And we are back with the Z1077 Up Close Show, a special presentation of Z1077 News presented in the public interest. Our guest in studio today is the superintendent of Joshua Tree National Park, David Smith. And David, uh, how long have you been the superintendent of Joshua Tree National Park now? We are just about ready six years, which is surreal. I, I can't believe it's been uh, six years and there's <laughs> so much more to do, Gary. In that short time, six years, uh, what has changed have you seen well, any, any changes from when you started and where yeah, you are now? Double the number of people coming to the park. Okay. So that's, that's – That uh, all happened pretty quickly. Man. And uh, I, I, I've heard theories, but let me ask you, the guy who's on the ground, uh, to what do you attest to that amazing popularity of the park that just swelled up in the last six years? Well, my mom says they came to see me. Uh, but I really don't think that's the case. Oh, yeah, but I, I think wanna... your mom's right. <laughs> okay. They heard that David was there, and they're coming by the millions. Uh in a perfect storm, Gary, you know, 2016 was, was the 100th anniversary of the national parks. We had a pretty good media campaign across the country that was reaching out. So you had more people going to parks. And we saw that trend across all national parks, but not like quite like Joshua Tree. So you're a victim of your own PR. A little bit. But then <laughs> I, I, the, the desert became super hip because of social media. You know, I, I would say right around the same time, you know, you started seeing on, on Facebook and Twitter and everything else, you know, people doing selfies out in the desert. Uh, you know, you go into a dentist office and you read the magazines there. I would say every single magazine will have one or two photos that have something to do with the desert. You know, a Jeep next to a Josh or a tree or you know, a senior citizen couple going for a hike, you know, in, in the desert. So that those images got, you know, more and more popular. And then I think the real big thing was Palm Springs. Palm Springs went from uh, kind of a low in visitation to it just was booming with Coachella and everything else that was happening down there. We know that Joshua Tree is the number one destination for people that are vacationing in Palm Springs. So about 40, 35 to 40 percent of them as part of their vacation will go to Joshua, will go to Joshua Tree as part of that. Okay. And, the, and Instagram, of course, everybody wants to get the pictures taken. Right. So, and that's caused some problems with people who don't understand, once again, yeah. don't understand the desert taking pictures on, on Joshua Trees and setting up props and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I I. I, I I don't want to be too critical of folks uh -huh. because, like I said, there's, that's, there's, that's a, fair. there's yeah. a lot of ignorance out there. No, no one's trying to do, you know, the wrong thing. They just and don't get it. They don't quite understand. You know, Josh trees are not really trees. You know, they are they're, – they're more akin to a, a – well, Tell us about the Joshua tree. Uh, what, are, what are they? Well, so I've always – you know, when I was 
when I was a little ranger, you know, they were part of the, the Lily family. You know, that's but, you know, botanists look at it a little bit differently right now. But they're, you know, they're part of the yuccas, you know. So you've got Nolinas, you've got yuccas, Mojave yuccas, um, you know, things like that. So that's the group of plants they're in. And, and as a result, they don't have growth rings like, like a pinion pine does. They don't grow like that. And so you don't have hardwood in the center portion of it. You have this spongy-like material. So, and I evaded your question because I don't really know exactly which family of plants they're in right now since I'll take were, the lily family. Since they were booted out of the lily family. Oh, they kicked them out? Just yeah. like they booted Pluto out of the solar system. You, you got it. You things, got it there. Things happen. So, so p- people are not trying to do bad things. But I, I was thinking yesterday, I was trying to get out of work, and uh, I got trapped by some visitors in the parking lot. And they wanted to go out to, to Heart Rock. And Heart Rock was, was a non-existent destination for anybody at joshua tree but it made it on instagram so now oh my gosh and so for valentine's day this year there were (laughs) hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people going out to a location we don't even have a trail out there well there's now a social trail going out there and we'll probably have to put in a trail project so we have a formal trail going out there because it's now a destination and by social trail that means so many people have just walked on it's created a trail exactly yeah and uh there's so, so we will be using resources the next year or so to make a more formal trail going out to that location to keep people from going all across and making a spider web of trails so across big, the desert. So a big feature of the park was just basically created by photos. And I, I, don't yeah. want, I don't want the tail to wag the dog in these situations, but you, sometimes you do have to react to them. You know, visitation patterns change. People's RVs got bigger. You know, we need to, when we think about campgrounds right now, make sure that they are bigger. Okay, we have a caller. Uh, Congressman Paul Cook is on the air to talk to you, Dave. We'll go right to it. Uh, Congressman Cook, you're on the radio. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We're on the air here with uh, David Smith. appreciate your calling, Paul. Yes, I, I, I wanted to uh, just call in. And uh, uh, unfortunately, David has to deal with me now and then. He is uh, he is perhaps the greatest diplomat in the world. The only <laughs> one better is Gary Danielle. <laughs> oh, thanks, and, Paul. Yeah. But uh, you, you know, now and then we have uh, issues. And and by the way, I'm always David. I'm always trying to get more money for you. You know that. <laughs> I I, I but, know, Paul. I appreciate it. But we have a lot of parts, and of course, uh, you know, we got to work through this issue of the Joshua Tree because it's going to affect everybody in my region, and. Uh, if you want to uh, see a diplomat in action, you ought to see how he talks to the horse people on uh, certain certain trails. Now, I, I, I've asked him a couple of times to be an intermediary between uh, uh, Jeannie, my wife, who is a crazy horse person, and myself when we have differences of opinion. But basically, uh, I'm just calling in to say, you know, I deal with a lot of bureaucrats. I'm one myself. Um, there are some that are good, they don't care. This is the best of the best. And I, I tell you, uh, Gary, you've been around a long, long time. We got a treasure here uh, in our in our park, but thank God we got David right now. And I, I can't thank you enough for always taking my calls, working through issues, and caring about the park. And that means so much. I, I think that somebody... Hey, Paul, let me ask you a question uh, while we're talking about the park. I understand there's some federal money coming uh, to do some uh, serious improvement of Black Rock. Can you give me a little, uh, can you magnify that a little bit? 
Well, Gary, as you know, right now everything's up in the air with money. We're going through the uh, National Defense Authorization Act and uh, appropriations uh, because uh, let's face it, the economy shut down, and we and we got a and God, I, I still have nightmares of voting for some of these bills that were in the trillions. I, I I can't even count past the thousand, and uh, so we're going to have to see how it's there, but. You know, it's not just uh, uh, Joshua Tree. Don't forget, I got Death Valley and I got uh, Alabama Hills and I got all the... This, this district is loaded with uh, uh, national parks and we got to take care of that. So the, the good news is I am on Natural Resources Committee and uh, I'm not as tactful as, uh, uh, as you two gentlemen, but uh, I'm not afraid to uh, argue for... Uh, certain areas and certain things that are extremely important, not just from an aesthetic standpoint, but uh, the economics, the people that come here, everything. You're right, things have changed. So uh, I'm optimistic. we got a lot of people that care about it. And uh, uh, as I said, uh, we're all in agreement on this. We might have some uh, issues on this and that, but uh, yeah. I'm hoping we can get through it. No, you know this is. Uh, I'm a lame duck. You know I'm leaving this uh, Congress, and uh, there's probably uh, people in uh, this area probably have a rave party when they hear that news. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, that Paul, means you can do whatever you want. Well, Paul, Paul, let me tell you what I really want to do, Paul, is, is get you back on this show when when you're not a congressman and you can tell us what's really going on <laughs> in Washington. Well. The, I, I'll be happy to, and, uh, uh, but don't forget. Right now, I'm trying to get money, so I got to be uh, a little bit diplomatic yeah, yeah. before I shoot my mouth off about certain people. All That's right. all I'm going to say. All right, Paul. Well, we Thank appreciate you. your call. Great all right, take care. Great to hear your voice. All right, bye bye. All right, always right. uh, a nice to have a U.S. congressman call and uh, and express his support of you, David. So let's. We we are yeah. uh, we are lucky to have uh, two very supportive uh, congressmen that represent the park uh, who like to use it a lot. Actually, uh, yeah. Dr. Ruiz I think is camping uh, in the park right now. So and and Paul and his wife are up there often, you know, hiking or riding horses. All right. Well, let's go right back to the phones. We got another caller, and uh, Courtney, you're on the radio. Good morning. Good morning, Carrie. Hi, David. Hey, Courtney. Um, I just wanted to retouch on. Um, Paul Cook kind of brought it up, and I know Gary kind of touched on it just a little bit, um, about the Black Rock Horse Campground. Is I know that there was initially the parking put in there for hikers, and then it was said that it was temporary, and you did remove half of it, but there wasn't like a time frame or any kind of future um, plans to remove it in the foreseeable future. Is that correct? Yeah, Courtney, I'm just trying to figure this out right now. Um the during the initial phases of the the shutdown when we were closing access to the park black rock was was a place it seemed like everyone from los angeles was going there to go hiking and we were having some significant parking issues in the neighborhood and many of the yeah. neighbors in in that portion of yucca have been calling me for the last couple of years with similar complaints so we used the the portion of the equestrian lot as an emergency kind of parking area and then once we were reopening again, I thought, you know, we'd throw in a few more spots there. 
when the, the equestrian lot's not being used, not realizing that where we were putting those spots was one of the ideal camp spots that the equestrians like to use because that's a little bit of shade they get from those Joshua trees there. And also, it was just, it's difficult to maneuver a rig in that area. It's difficult for the horses to have cars, you know, that are coming up and folks that are unfamiliar with horses. So I, I fear that I opened a bit of a can of worms while I was trying to solve a, uh, a problem for the folks that live up in that area. I, I need a permanent um, solution to parking. We've got four major trailheads that emanate from Black Rock and not enough parking for it. Um, the uh, the bill that Gary was talking about, the Great American Outdoors bill that just passed the Senate, um, BlackRock is our, our number one priority uh, to actually do um, some significant work in establishing, you know, new new um, new campsites there, hiking campsites, RV campsites, you know, taking care of the equestrian area, putting in sewage that hooks up into the the new sewage system in Yucca. So it, it's a big infrastructure package that will deal with a lot of things, but. That's just that's another story. I'm going to see what how that parking lot issue works out over the next few months and into the fall. And if it doesn't work out, we'll pull it. It's it's a temporary thing, and it's it, I have no issue pulling it. We'll just have to figure out another solution for for people's vehicles. Okay. Gordy. Yeah, I know that um, we were we were kind of looking into the uh, NPS.gov, and there was a folder regarding the uh, Black Rock Campground, and it does show that um, at one point in between 2006. And um, up until 2018, I believe, that it showed the entrance road from Black Rock Campground all the way up to the Horse Campground entrance was reallocated for um, parking up to, I think, like, it's at 70 parking spaces. Is that still something that you're looking into doing? You know, we did another designing charrette uh, about a year ago and brought... um uh, a contracting firm out to create some of the plans, and I don't remember the exact numbers right now, Courtney. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to review those when I get back to the office. Yeah, no, that's fine. I just didn't know if that was still like if you're still re- looking into reallocating that space into future parking spaces. I, I so just I want to make it super clear. Uh, horse users are part of Joshua Tree's history. They have been using the park forever. And we will continue to have equestrians inside of Joshua Tree as a, as a legitimate user group. Um, just have to kind of fit it in with, with, with hikers and climbers and everyone else that wants to use yeah. the park as well. So there's, there's, no, there's no secret agenda to, to, to remove horses from the park because they're part of the park. Um, mm-hmm. No. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for your time, guys. Thank right. you. Take care, Courtney. Uh, one of the things I just got reminded of um, rabbits. We have a, a oh, man. terrible virus, yeah, and we're not <clears throat> talking about COVID nineteen. No, no, no. It's COVID-19. affecting the rabbit population, and it's here. Yeah, it's it, it affects the entire family that rabbits are part of. So you get the the desert cottontails and the black tailed jackrabbits. It, it it nails them both in our community, and it's an exotic virus. Uh, I, I reached out to our wildlife biologist um, before coming on today, and uh, it's not from the United States. And, you know, we're looking at maybe a 20 to 50% mortality rate, you know, based on what they've seen in the past. So that's a lot of, that's a lot of bunnies dying in this area. And there's really not a lot that we can do about it. Okay. Well, I do want to let folks know that there is absolutely no danger to humans and no danger to your pets. Although if you have a pet make a contact from rabbit to rabbit, right. your pet could transfer it to another rabbit. Well, and and, no and, and we yet. can as well. So if you are uh, disposing, I, I had two rabbits die uh, out in front of my house in Indian Cove this week. And so, uh, you know, 
if you are going to be moving it, if you're going to be burying it, you know, bury it a couple feet below the surface so that um, uh, scavengers don't get to it, bag it or throw it away. That's another option. And just make sure you, you wash off and sterilize anything that was in contact with that so you don't spread it anymore. And gosh, if you have a pet rabbit, get that animal inside your house because, you know, she's going to come in contact with with that virus and it could, you know, really potentially, it, it could kill your animal. Uh, and is there a is there a life of this? Is it just here forever now? What is the? I'm not quite sure what the science is behind rabbit so, epidemiology. So I'm, so I'm getting my my information from our biologist yeah. who gets it from the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, and they think this virus will run its course, okay. and animals will survive. And it will pass through. But we're going to see a lot of dead rabbits. We're going to see a lot of dead rabbits in the deserts. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's no doubt about that. So if people come across a dead rabbit on their property or, or while they're hiking, mm-hmm. what is the suggested thing that they do? Well, leave it alone? or um, the, uh, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife uh, has actually, a, if you go to their website, you can report it. You can report that you've, uh, um, you've actually seen a, a dead rabbit. It looks as it has signs and symptoms. Now, if it has trauma... If it was run over by a car, you know, that's another story. But the two bunnies that I found in my yard, both of them were fine. They had a little bit of blood at the mouth, uh, and, you know, they, they were dead. And that seems to be the, the telltale signs. Uh, if, it's, if it's on your property, you know, you can bag it, throw it away, or bury it. If it's on public land, just go ahead and report it to uh, okay. California Fish and Wildlife. Now, uh, uh, interesting <clears throat> coincidence, because you and I actually live rather close to each other. And you had uh, a couple of dead rabbits on your property. On my property last night, I counted 14 big jackrabbits. Uh, they come down, I have a, a fish pond in my backyard, so the animals come down to, <laughs> to right around sunset to, to get a little drink. We had 14 jacks, and, and talking to my wife, if, if we're going to lose 50 to 80% of that population, th- that's a, a big change. Yeah, but as, as my biologist reminds me, rabbits multiply like rabbits. <laughs> So yeah. I, although it's painful and it's going to have ramifications for the predator. That's what I was going to ask you. Will it, will it affect right. the coyote population? I mean, or is there plenty of rabbits ra- ra- Rabbits, Rabbits are like the base food for like so many, you know, critters, so many birds of prey uh, that are out there um, that uh, it, it's, it's an issue of concern. All uh, right. We got lots of folks waiting to talk to you. Uh, anything else we need to know about the rabbits? Just I, I, I'm not a rabbit, you know. Uh, but official, don't be so. concerned. We're going to start seeing dead yeah, rabbits. Exactly. So okay, we're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more of the Z1077 Up Close Show with David Smith, Joshua Tree National Park Superintendent. Uh, don't go away. We've got uh, lots more to cover here on Z1077. We know you're ready to get your hair cut. Great Clips is now open and ready to get you back to looking your best. Now open 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. daily. They are practicing all the CDC guidelines for hair salons and barbers, so you'll need to wear a mask, social distance while waiting, and of course, they've got plenty of sanitizer on hand. It's best to book ahead online or in the Great Clips app. Also, check the wait time so you can stay in the car until they're ready for you. We're all ready to get back to our best self. Let Great Clips help. In the Dollar Tree Center, Yucca Valley. Sue's Health Food, committed to your good health. 
Hi, this is Sue from Sue's Health Foods. Preventative health care has always been important. Eating at least five different colored fruits and vegetables each day help create healthier cells. Drinking enough daily water to hydrate your body can help reduce joint pain in many people. Taking a daily high-quality multiple will help cover nutritional needs for a healthier body and brain, as do healthy fats such as flaxseed oil, omega-3s, and coconut oil, probiotics, and a healthier gut are well documented and our private label identifies each of the strains we use. We're here to help with your nutritional needs and quality supplementation. Sue's Health Foods committed to our community and to your good health for 36 years. And we are back. It is 1045, and you are listening to the Z1077 Up Close Show. I'm your host, Gary Dino. Our producer is Sarah Snyder, and our phone number for you to call is 760-366-8471. Our guest in studio today, the superintendent of Joshua Tree National Park, David Smith. And David, you're a popular guy. We've got lots of people who want to talk to you, so let's get right to them. Sue, you are on the radio with David Smith. Good morning. Good morning, Gary, and thank you for taking my call. Hello, David. My name is Sue Fever. I am a very frequent user of the Black Rock Equestrian Facility, and I was really happy to hear that uh, you're listening and wanting feedback, and I wanted to provide you with a little bit of my own personal experience there since it has been opened up to hikers and urban parkers. Um, actually was there one day when about six cars came in all at once, and they blew three, three of them, or no, four of them went right to the area which, which you had um, set up for them. Two of them went right through the equestrian section, all through horses and trailers, all the way to the other side, you know, uh, very fast, uh, 20, maybe 20 miles an hour. And so what I want to just elaborate for you is, and you've already hit on it once, is that these are well-intentioned folks, but they're uninformed. Um, you're commingling people who have no horse knowledge and um, no no way to kind of respect the uh, the criteria that we need to have met in order for everyone to stay safe. And there's really no controls in place to inform them. We actually had to go do that, and they were very nice people. They just didn't know. So I would I would wholly um, encourage you to find another place to put and park these people because as the season opens, I guarantee you it's going to uh, increase in potential incidents, and uh, I'm hoping to avoid that. And we're using it still, even in the heat. We come up there year-round. So well, even Susan, now we're, we're running into it. So I just wanted to thank you for listening, and, and, and hopefully we'll find an, an alternative which will meet everybody's needs and keep everyone safe. Well, Sue, yesterday I met with uh, Doug Evans from Desert Riders specifically to talk about uh, some of the issues that you actually brought up. So he knew about the situation with those drivers going through. And, you know, we're looking at some you know additional signage for the time being. But I, I agree with you. It is not an ideal location. It, it will be mm-hmm. temporary. And we will find a better location for vehicles. Awesome. You've been great. And, yes, I'm, I am. I'm a former president of Desert Riders as well, so Doug and I work closely together, and I know you're doing a great job, and he's a great advocate for everyone because he's a hiker too. So, um, anyway, kudos to you, and, and thanks for listening, and uh, you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Sue. Thanks, Sue. Jody, you're on the radio. Good morning. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, Mr. Smith. Um, 
Thank you for taking my, uh, my call, sir. I, I was well, undoubtedly this COVID uh, thing is affecting anything and everybody in every way possible, uh, including income. Uh, so my question is, um, how is the park with its current uh, uh, cash level, whatever, uh, for the physical year? Do you foresee any need in possibly raising the prices to adjust to the lost income, or will the uh, is there no worries about that? Ooh, you, you bring up a lot of good questions. I would really like to avoid raising entrance fees. It, you know, I, I think they are uh, they're important because that's where we get a lot of our income from. But also, they can be they can be a barrier that prevents a lot of folks that are low income from actually enjoying their parks. So I, I'd like to avoid that, um, Jody. We I did a lot of cutting this year and in the next five years so that we could balance out that budget. I'm hoping that will actually meet our needs. Luckily, we've got amazing partners like um, the, our, the, the Nature Association, uh, MDLT, Friends of Joshua Tree. You know, they have been helping a lot with different issues inside the park with land and helping with search and rescue and paying for that. Um, so between our partners and cutting the things, I think we're going to be fine, Jody. Well, cool. All right. Well, if you do, you do. But I was just curious. All right. Thank you for taking my calls. All right, Jody. Have, have a great day. Bye-bye. You as well. Bye. Hi, Tom. You're on the radio with David Smith. Hi, David and Jerry. Uh, Jerry, I'm up here in the rocky tag behind the station. Okay, we're having a we're having a real hard time hearing you, Tom. So if you're on a cell phone, back away about three inches from your microphone there. Well, I was using my speakerphone. Is that a little bit better? Much better. Okay, go right ahead, Tom. Okay, uh, I'm up. Uh, my wife has been putting up bird seed and water for the birds, but you know, obviously the rabbits and everything else are coming around. Uh, congregating all the reps together is that going to be a danger? Ooh, you know, I, I just uh, was reading some stuff from the state uh, fish and wildlife. Yeah, uh, places where they come together, the excrement from the rabbits can can pass the virus. Uh, you know, watering areas where they're all going to the same location can pass the virus too. So that would be a location where you might see uh, increased uh, passing of the, the virus. Okay, so I'll let my wife know that we should keep the food off the ground now. Yeah, so so go to the California Department of Fish and Wildlife website if you have access to the internet and uh, just read up a little bit more because they're they're publishing a lot of stuff right now specifically about that. Yeah, about I think about last week, Tom, we ran a story about the rabbit virus, and in that story is a link to the Fish and Wildlife site about the rabbits uh, from the state so you can find a link right there just go back to the z1077 website i think last week and just there's a big picture of a rabbit there's a link right to the state okay all right tom thanks coco you're on the radio good morning hi um i have a question regarding the park of course um i understand that the park's mission is to preserve wildlife while allowing people to enjoy that and it seems like the number of folks that are visiting, um, and a lot of people are saying this, the number of people visiting the park these days make it at odds with the actual um, mission of preserving the wildlife. So my question is, um, how do you think we, um, we can deal with this? Or is there a plan? I know some of the other uh, national parks have had shuttles coming in and that sort of thing as a means of preserving um, and perhaps even limiting the visitors. What are your thoughts? 
Oh, good question. Um, so the the enabling legislation for the Park Service, which is the Organic Act, is a, a really brilliant piece of, of writing that was done in, in 1916 that gives us two missions. One is to allow for you to enjoy that and for future enjoy, future generations to enjoy the park and that it be unimpaired and that the, you know, the, the wildlife and the natural scenery and all those things are preserved. So it's this balancing act all the time. I I have about 50 letters from, um, mostly complaint letters on my desk right now, and I was answering a couple of them uh, yesterday. And one of the, the ones was, why don't you build more campgrounds? You've got 800,000 acres. You know, you need to build more campgrounds inside the park. You could build another five or ten, and that would be fantastic. And I, I had to explain to this guy that, well, yeah, I could do that, but every time I do that, it has a significant impact on the wildlife and other things. So it's, it's, a, it's a balance. Um, the day may come when we have a shuttle system at Joshua Tree. The day may come when we have a reservation system. You know, a lot of parks are doing that right now. Uh, Zion is doing it. Uh, Arches is doing it. Arcadia. Uh, we're not quite there. We experimented with the shuttle, uh, you know, for the last two or three years. We were not able to get the ridership that we needed to really make it a good idea. But I've, I've got to figure out what that balance is. And we try to, we try to educate you know, our visitors, you know, as much as possible so that they can limit their, so that they don't drive fast on the road, so they, they can avoid the desert tortoises, so they stay on trails. We can engineer, which means I use, you know, specific areas, so I keep you on trails, or I keep you in certain parking lots, so the wildlife is taken care, and then I can use enforcement. So I have rangers out there that are, are working really hard to keep people from doing OHV use across the desert, uh, from shooting inside the park, from hunting inside the park, from from looting and things like that. So I use those three E's, education, enforcement, and engineering, to help find that balance. And I, I Coco, I, I don't know where it is right now. There's a lot of pressure that comes in from a lot of different people. But my goal right. is to go back to the Organic Act, which is, you know, allow for the enjoyment and, you know, preserve it for future generations and find that balance. Okay, Coco? Right. Yeah, All right. I can understand that. Thank you so much. All right, thanks okay. for calling. We're going to take one more quick little break. We'll be right back with the final portion of the Z1077 Up Close Show right after these brief messages. The rigid and time-consuming process of traditional bank loans have paved the way for peer-to-peer lending. This is Patty Brown, a.k.a. The Loan Lady. We offer viable alternatives and flexible lending on home mortgages. A lot of people are buying second homes, vacation rentals, or even properties to flip. Our money to loan comes from local investors who don't rely on credit scores, but instead, we invest in people. It's not too late to get in on the investment real estate market. All you need is the desire. We have the money to lend right now. Simplify applications and quick turnaround times too. Call me today at 365-7003. The Loan Lady, we want to be your real estate lender. Don't cough and sweat your way through the flu season. Boost your immune system now. Star Pharmacy has a full range of solutions for you. Everything from cough and cold medications to supplements and homeopathic remedies that work naturally with your body to support your immune system. Elderberry, echinacea, zinc, and much more. Keeping your pets healthy too with over-the-counter and prescription medications. Star Pharmacy is your low-priced leader. Carrying home medical equipment, wheelchairs, walkers, canes, and nebulizers. Star Pharmacy, open Monday through Saturday at 9 a.m. next to the post office in Joshua Tree. 
Ready to hit the gym again? Total Fitness is back open. Hi, this is Joe Rigo, certified personal trainer at Total Fitness. I don't know about you, but I have to say I've gotten a bit flabbier this past three months. It's not easy to work out at home. Being sedentary is not my style, and I know it's not yours. So let's get started. Take it slow, be patient, and know we can do this thing. We are in strict compliance with current government guidelines. For your safety and ours, we have increased all sanitization and constant cleaning procedures. So please be courteous and help us observe social distancing recommendations. Some gym amenities may be limited, but classes, size limit to 12, equipment use, and our convenient 24-hour service are all available to get you back in shape. At Total Fitness, we have missed our beautiful community and our wonderful military family. So please come see us soon. Be safe. Be determined and stay kind to others. Total Fitness 29 in the Stater Brothers Center, 29 Palms, now open 24 hours a day. And we've got about four minutes left in our program, actually three minutes, so I'm going to take this last caller. And uh, Michael, I'm sorry, we're, 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 on a, we're, on a, we're on a short stick here, so uh, you make your comment. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, just real quickly, I spoke to the state because I had a question about what to do if I come across a dead rabbit yeah. out in the wild. And they said, leave it for the scavengers. No one's really talked about the food chain problem. So, um, you know, the wild rabbits are food for something else. The domestic rabbits are a whole other question. Yeah, and hopefully hopefully this thing doesn't take take hold in the domestic rabbit population, but uh, they, they're, not, they're, they're not out there cavorting with the natural ones. Well, no, but no, no they, they're, they're very much at risk. One of the biggest concerns is the industry, both domestic rabbits as pets and food. Okay. And yet the last thing is, is they said, be careful where you go other places hiking. If you're going north from here, make sure that you're clean. Yeah, because you don't want to carry it to another spot that doesn't yeah, have it exactly. yet. All right, Michael. Hey, yeah. good, good advice. We appreciate your call. All right, thank you. All right, thanks. Uh, David, uh, we've got about a minute left. And in that minute, what is it that us locals, the, the, the population around the park, what can we do to make your job easier? Uh, Stop writing complaint letters. No, it, no. Just, I, I, I value your input so much, yeah. man. I, I can't, I can't stress that enough. I, I love getting the letters. It's, it's a, it's a pain in the neck to have to respond to all of them because it takes a lot of time. But I need your input. I, you know, when I, when I go to the store, when I go to church, when I go to the Rotary Club, when I, you know, any place, my ears are open and I, I, I take your, your input. Just recognize it was a lot of, lot of us out there that are coming from different areas. You know, we may be very very myopic in what we're looking at we may just be into one particular thing but there's a lot of other folks in our area that have a lot of other needs from this park it pays their rent you know it is it's where they find peace and solace it's where you know they go rock climbing and all these other things so it means so much to so many people so let me know you know communicate with me communicate with my staff my chiefs let us know because we do serve you in the end. All right. Thank you, David Smith, Superintendent of Joshua Tree National Park. That's going to do it for the Z107 Set Up Close Show. Uh, next week, we have a very special treat for you, a, very, a children's program in Joshua Tree, and you're going to hear some of their work. Till then, thanks for listening. Drive carefully, and God bless. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Up Close, a weekly talk and interview program presented in the public interest by Z1077 News. Join Gary Denio again next Friday at 10 for more Up Close.